Welcome to Brave Knitting. This is episode number 17 to be released on June 1st, 2020. This is Linda and I'm here with B today. So B, what are we being brave about? We're going to be brave about short rows. Woo! All right. So this is B's first time with us. Yes. Um recording a podcast and so we want to kind of get to know you a little bit better. I've known you for many, 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 many years. Um, but our listeners are probably curious about when you started knitting, why you started knitting, and just how did all that start? Okay. Well, when I was 14 years old, uh, my mother gave me a box of my grandmother's old knitting supplies just a bunch of those awful aluminum straight needles, <laughs> some some leftover yarn that was probably bought in the 80s, and she didn't know how to knit, so she thought I could just have it to play with because I was pretty crafty. So between YouTube and self-teaching and eventually finding a little local yarn shop to go take a couple lessons from, I eventually was able to knit and purl. Okay, a good start. Right. It actually wasn't until I started working at um, a local yarn shop myself that I really improved my knitting skills. Up until that point, I was still just knitting and purling. I could cable, but basically I was making rectangular scarves and that was it. So you went to work at a local yarn shop and you knew how to knit and purl? Yep, that was that was pretty much it. Okay, so trial by fire? It really was. Um, I learned so much in the two years that I was working there because not only was I having to learn all of these new techniques on the fly, but I was also having to troubleshoot students' problems, like when they dropped stitches or when they lost where they were in the pattern, I had to interpret that for them and get them back to the right place. So I learned a lot about shaping and making mistakes and fixing those mistakes <laughs> and understanding how patterns are written and how to read them and where you can take your own creative. Wow. Was that, so was that intimidating at first? I mean, because you weren't really that experienced of a knitter and obviously probably a lot of your customers were lots more experienced than you. Yes and no. Um, it was very intimidating with um, students who were, you know, working on very complicated lace sweaters. It was really difficult to help them at first. Uh, a surprising number of students had actually never knitted at all. I took a lot of the beginners that came in. Okay. So that that was helpful, just teaching them how to knit. And there's no better way to learn something than to teach it to someone else. Right, right. So eventually my skills just got good enough because I was doing it for 35 hours a week, all day, every day, that I eventually just picked up on what other people were doing. And I wasn't the only teacher, so I was able to sort of mimic other lessons from... Okay. And maybe occasionally learn from a customer too, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, there's definitely some some sayings and some tricks that I have always remembered from, from customers okay. and students. So... So since you worked in the store, mm -hmm. I guess you probably got to like try out a lot of really fun yarn and stuff, right? Yes, definitely. Everything that came in, we were encouraged to to try out and to sample and many times we actually made the store models. Okay, so, cool. So I got to experience a lot of fiber, a lot of different types of needles, and because of that I learned how fiber reacts and 
how different yarns knit up. Okay. Do you have a favorite? Um, I will always lean towards wool. I think it knits up the best. We're in Texas, so a lot of what I own is cotton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gets really hot here. Um, I hate, hate, hate chenille. It is the worst thing to knit or crochet. Okay. All right. So, short rows today. Yes. Now, first, I want to give just a basic definition about short rows. And one of the um, best explanations I saw recently was that short rows are to vertical knitting what increases and decreases are to horizontal knitting. And I think that's a good way for people to to just think about it, that, you know, the same way you would do an increase or a decrease and you get this sort of gradual, nice change in size in your um, knitting, you're doing the same thing with short rows. You're kind of creating um, a wedge and a wedge that fits nicely around curves. So I, I'm curious about something and I meant to try to look this up and I forgot, but I really didn't hear about short rows until recently. I think short rows have been around a long time. I think maybe they were called something different many years ago when I first learned to knit. So I think at first when I heard people talking about them, I was a little confused. And you told me that you had customers that were really intimidated by them. Yes, a lot of customers and students who came into the store, if they saw a pattern used short rows or came up to the point they had to use them, they got really scared and either didn't want to finish the project or really needed a lot of oversight in doing those techniques. Okay, well, that's interesting because really once you know about short rows, it's just not that big of a deal, right? Yeah, I agree. They're actually not that bad and they, they get a lot of hate. <laughs> right. which I don't think is warranted. I think the techniques are fairly easy once you get to know them, and they do really amazing things for your work, for they, your patterns. They do. They do some really, really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, that's interesting, because I, I think when I first started hearing about them in recent, in my you know recent knitting, not when I was knitting 30 years ago, that I was, must have been reading like a message board or something on a knitting site, and and. Was, the way people were talking about it made, it made them sound like a bigger deal than they were. And that's why I think I was a little confused at first. But personally, where I have used them the most are on sweaters. Specifically, I've made several yoke sweaters recently. So they're, you know, knit in the round from the top down. And you want a sweater, generally you want a sweater to be higher in the back than it is in the front. And so short rows are a great way, once again, of creating that vertical increase at the back of your neck. So I've used them several times there. Um, I have used them in um, a cardigan I made that I've talked about many times on the podcast called Dirty Martini that I think is a fabulous first-time sweater pattern for people. It's really fun to knit up, but it has short rows in a couple different places. It has them um, in some bust shaping, and then it has them again in this panel that is kind of, it's, it's a kind of a long cardigan below your hips, but it has a, like this panel that kind of gets wider um, down at the bottom, and it uses short rows. So that's when I've used them most. 
I've definitely seen them the most in shawls, specifically asymmetrical triangular shawls. Okay. So if you've if you ever wind up doing a Melanie Berg shawl <laughs> pattern, you definitely have come across a short row. They are really common in giving that sort of swoop or slight curve to shawls so that it will lay on your shoulders more naturally. Also, they're really common in socks, specifically the heel of the sock. Right, right. I've done that. At least one pair that has done that. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, they're great at making wedges or shapes or curves. So, of course, the heel of your foot, which is just <laughs> a curve, of course, that's where you see them the most often. And back to to people being intimidated, what I think is interesting is even devoted sock knitters who use short rows a lot will actually talk about how horrible short rows are. And I think one of the differences is the short row itself is just, as you mentioned in the definition, going one way, stopping before you finish your row, and going back instead of doing the full row. So you have a partial additional set of stitches. But techniques to really blend the short row to the rest of the body tend to, to intimidate people. And that's where it really becomes a problem. Okay. So, yeah, so what, what we discovered is that we have uncovered eight techniques, really probably 10 or 11, but we found some of them are just, they use the same name for the same technique, but, but eight basic techniques. And the first one being, you know, you knit across a row, you stop before you get to the end of the row, and then you just turn around and knit back. And then presumably maybe stop before you get to the end again. And if you keep doing that, as you can imagine, that just creates like a, um, a section in your knitted work that is going to be taller than the stuff on the side. So the most simple thing to do is to simply get to where you want to turn, turn the work, knit across the other way. However, that leaves a hole. It, it does leave a <laughs> hole, which I think vexes a lot of people. But it's also the reason so many techniques have been created, specifically to close that hole so that you don't have a gap in your knitting and it looks cleaner and smoother. And everybody has their own way of doing it, I guess. Or people are like clamoring to come up with the, the perfect short row method because we found so many, right? Yeah. In fact, some of them have even been created this decade. Oh, wow. But the first one I want to talk about is called the wrap and turn. This is the most commonly used if your pattern says more, decides to specify the technique other than just saying do a short row. It's usually the wrap and turn they specify. Right. That's what I've seen most common. Right. So all you have to do for this technique is exactly what it sounds like. You get to the point in your work that you want to turn and you actually wrap your yarn between the needles and around the stitch that would be the first stitch in your short row. And then you slip it, continue on, and when you get back to that point in your knitting, you pick up both the stitch and its associated wrap and you knit them, knit two together or purl two together, depending on your pattern. So essentially you're just wrapping around that hole. Yes. Okay, cool. Now, one of my, I've just discovered German short rolls, row rolls, yeah, rows recently, but I think German might be my new favorite. And to do a German short row, you work one stitch past where you want to turn. Then you turn, then you slip that extra stitch you just 
knitted or purled. And you always slip it with the yarn in front, regardless if you're knitting or purling. You always slip with the yarn in front, and then you use that yarn, that working yarn, to pull up that, that stitch kind of over to the back side of your needle and create sort of a double stitch. And then when you return, you'll that double stitch becomes really, really obvious, and you just knit it together. And so I find it pretty, pretty simple to do. Yeah, actually the German short row is my personal favorite short row. If oh. the technique isn't specified in the pattern, that's the one I usually go for. It does really well in stockinette, not so much garter, but it actually looks really good in color work too. Okay, cool. So the next one is the Japanese short row. It actually looks very similar to German once you've completed it. However, the steps are pretty different. <laughs> so for the Japanese short row, you get to the point where you want to turn your work, you slip the first stitch, and then you place a removable marker, and that is very important. You put a removable <laughs> stitch marker on your working yarn, slide it next to your slip stitch, and then you keep knitting along your way. When you return to your marked stitch, you actually use that stitch marker to help pull up the yarn, you place it on your left needle, and then you knit two together. So this is a little more complicated and because you're stretching yarn across rows can be a little difficult to master. However, if you have trouble spotting your short rows, Japanese short rows are always marked. They have to be marked or you'll oh, lose them. Right, okay. So that's Good point. very beneficial. All right. And then I looked into the um, yarn over, and this is another one that I've actually done recently. And the yarn over is actually pretty easy, except when you get to the purl side, it gets a little more complicated. Um, so you work to the turn, you turn, and then you wrap, you do a yarn over, but you do it clockwise instead of counterclockwise, which is how I normally do it. <laughs> and then, yeah, and that's if you're knitting or purling, you're, you're, you're doing a yarn over, but you do it clockwise instead of counterclockwise. Now, when you're going to kind of pick it up, on the knit side, it's pretty straightforward. You just knit um, to that stitch with the yarn over. You knit the stitch with the yarn over by itself, but you'll see the yarn over and then you'll see a gap to the next stitch, which would be your hole, right? Right. <laughs> and you knit those two together. So that to me is, I like that because it's very obvious. On the purl side, it's a little trickier when you're picking up. So when you're picking up on the purl side and you get to that, that stitch with the yarn over next to it, you slip as if to knit and then you so you're slipping the the yarn over and the stitch as if to knit then you slip them both back to the left needle and then you purl through the back loop that's a lot <laughs> that's a lot it's it's one of those things that it's a lot to remember and when you're when you're reading it or watching a video of it you're kind of like uh but but once you do it a time or two, you can. it, it kind of makes sense because it, when you're looking at the knitting, it just kind of seems like the thing to do. If you were to, on that, if you were to just 
purl those two together, it would become real obvious on the right-hand side, you'd get this funny looking loop that you don't want. So it's a little more obvious when you're actually doing it. Right. And it's important to remember with this method that it can wind up a little loose because of that yarn over. So you want to really watch your tension. Oh, right. Yeah. So kind of make that yarn over as tight as you can. Yep. Okay. The next technique is the Sunday short row. This was actually created by Carol Sunday rather <laughs> recently. Um, if you want to check out her technique video or other fun things that she does, you can go to sundayknits.com. So the Sunday short row is actually exactly like the Japanese short row that we discussed earlier. However, you do not slip the first stitch of your short row. You go ahead and knit it or purl it. You, you work it in pattern. So what this does is it's really a preference thing. If you slip your stitch first, it works like a salvage edge. It is a little bigger, but it has a tendency to align more with the rest of your knitting. Okay. But your tension is more likely to be wonky on that one stitch. If you work your stitch, it is more likely to have the right tension, but it may not line up with the rest of your knitting. So it's really about how you knit if you should choose Japanese or Sunday. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. All right, and then one that I was not familiar with, but I tested out last night, is called the Shadow Short Row. It is also known as the Mother-Daughter Short Row. And then B tells me it is also known as the Twin yes, Short Row. It has a lot of names. <laughs> so with the Shadow, so you're knitting across. When you get to the point where you would turn... You want to, with your right-hand needle, you want to pick up the right-hand leg of the stitch below the one on the left-hand needle. And you lift that onto the left-hand needle, and then you knit into it to make a new stitch. So kind of like a lifted increase. And then on the purl side, you, you want to slip the stitch to the right-hand needle. Then you, with the left-hand needle, you lift the left-hand leg. <laughs> so you're essentially you're doing the same thing you, you were doing in knit, but you're just doing it in reverse. So you use the left-hand needle to pick up the left-hand leg. Then you purl into it to create the new stitch. Then you slip that back on to the left-hand needle and turn. Um, the good news is, is that after you do those, the return is really easy because on the return rows that that extra stitch is really obvious and then you're just working it you're working sort of the shadow with its the shadow stitch and the stitch together and they're it's very very obvious and very easy to, to do the return another technique that i actually wasn't familiar with either until this is called the catch short row you turn your work for your short row you slip the first stitch and then you actually pick up the bar of yarn between your slip stitch and second stitch as if you were doing a make one. And okay. then you knit the slip stitch and your bar together as a knit two or purl two together. Okay. I haven't tried that one yet. I'm, gonna, I'm curious to try that. Sounds interesting. So the question became, like, when are we supposed to use these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of them and I think 
when there's such a high variety, we sort of want to say that, well, they're, they've been created for specific things. And really all I can find is that some work better with stockinette or garter, some work better with color work, but in the end, it really just boils down to your preference. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I think too. What I have found in, what I, one of the things I did and I would recommend to all of our listeners to do is to, to make a, a swatch in testing out these techniques. And I'll talk a little bit more about that um, later. Um, but what I found for me, I had some that looked definitely looked better on the, the knit side than on the pearl side. So that's, that's the only real distinction that I came into. And, and one tip I read just said, <laughs> use the method you can remember. <laughs> and I thought maybe that's the best advice ever. That, that probably is. If, if you know it well enough that you can remember it off the top of your head, you're probably pretty good at it. <laughs> so Linda, with so many techniques... Do I need to learn all eight of these? <laughs> you do not. But I do recommend that you t try them all out. Yeah. Should I use the technique that the pattern calls for with my short rows? Oh, you're a brave knitter. Never do what the pattern tells you to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I don't know. I find it interesting when a pattern says to, to use a specific technique. I really haven't seen that that very frequently. Usually you only see wrap and turn or it just says use a short row technique of your choosing. Right. I've only ever seen them specify wrap and turn. I once saw German specified, but that was in one pattern. Usually you're left up to your own devices. Right. So, but it is kind of a fun, a fun thing to test out. And like I said, there's, there's nothing sort of scary or complicated about them at all. I think once you actually do all these techniques, you'll you'll be going like, oh, why, why did I think short rows was any big deal? Yeah, I definitely, I agree with Linda that you should definitely try them all out. And whichever one you like or you think you're good at, that's just the one you should use. And just feel confident that you can now do short rows. Right. All right. Does that about wrap it up on short rows? I think it does. Okay. So today we are announcing the winner of our Jilly and Kittles Fancy sock yarn in Exciting. the bashful colorway. And we did a drawing of all of our entries, people that posted on Facebook and Instagram and emailed us with their ideas and also told us uh, what their favorite socks were. And the winner is Denise Chang. She posted on our Facebook page and she uh, showed us a picture of the third I guess it's the third pair of socks that she's ever knit. Very cute looking socks. Uh, she said the pattern was Boarding Pass by String Revolution. How cute. Congratulations, Denise. So good going, Denise. We will be in contact with you and send you your skein of fancy sock yarn from Jilly and Kittles. And thank you again to Jilly and Kittles. All right, B. so... What are you raving about today? I am raving about the shawl pattern called On the Spice Market by Melanie Berg. I I've heard of this. Love this pattern. I've actually knitted it once. It is a set of mini skeins and a base color. 
You can do whatever combo that your heart desires. I did a blue ombre mini skein kit with a white base for this pattern and gave it to my mom, which is why I now want to make another one for me. <laughs> this is one of the only patterns I've ever come across that I want to do again. Oh, interesting. Which is why I think it deserves a shout out. But also, it does involve short rows, and they're really not that hard. <laughs> okay. It's a great way to learn short rows because... The shawl has three sections and you're using mini skeins, so you're swapping out your colors. So you feel a sense of progression as you move along. And the pattern does eventually change, so you never get bored. And it's really beautiful. My mom says that out of all the things I've knitted her, that's what she gets the most compliments on, is that shawl. Cool. I'm going to rave about virtual Vogue Knitting Live. Fun. Which... I attended, so to speak, a couple of weeks ago, and they're actually running another one that is the middle of June. So this is released June 1st. Some of you that listened to it in the first couple of weeks, a lot of the classes, particularly with the really good teachers, are already sold out. But it sounds like this first one that they did that I attended in May, which was virtual, you know, doing Zoom classes, basically, they must have gotten a really good response because very quickly they put together this other one and, you know, I was barely done with the one and I got in my email, uh, you know, it's time to register for Vogue Knitting Live virtual in June. I'm like, oh my God, they're doing it every month now. But So I don't know how frequently they plan to do it, but I, I took three classes, I took two classes and one of them was not so great, so I won't talk about that one. But one of them was with Franklin Habit on uh, Intarsia. That was very good. And I did, I did a lecture class from Bristol Ivy. And it was really about design and very, very interesting lecture class. I would definitely take a class from Bristol Ivy again. And then there were a lot of free sessions and free things. So there was a, a keynote um, address by Claire Parks, who I talked about before in the podcast who I really love and Patty Lyons did a little an ask Patty session with the Mason Dixon ladies one afternoon that was really interesting just to hear her talk and demonstrate and answer people's questions so all in all you know it's not the same as going to New York City and and being in class but it was it was kind of like a nice alternative so I would highly recommend looking into future virtual Vogue Knitting Lives. So you have any misbehaving today? I do. <laughs> I do have a misbehave. And what's sad is it's all my own fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on a colorwork shawl called Kodiaks, which is a beautiful pattern and well-written. It has nothing to do with the designer. It's all me. One of the most important things that I just learned <laughs> in colorwork is how stark of a contrast your colors really need to be. I chose colors that look really pretty together and are technically different colors. I got a pink, a tan, a gray, and a green. They do look different. However, when they're all blended together in the color work, it isn't enough to really show that gorgeous pattern. Oh, okay. So that's been frustrating. But also, in general for this pattern, my color work has just been off. It got a little zigzaggy and the tension was just messed up. And I looked up 
Andrea Rangel's Seven Tips for Color Work, which I highly recommend if you're also struggling with your color work. <laughs> and some of her advice definitely helped, but it still looks a little funky. So I just went ahead and finished it. So it's done. I have completed it, but I might have to go back and redo it. <laughs> okay, that happened. Well, my misbehaving did have something to do with short rows. As I have mentioned last several months on the podcast, I've been kind of head into really focused on the level two master stuff. And there are several swatches that you do on short rows. Now the instructions tell you do one, they're, they're both shoulder shaping, right? And you do one swatch that is in stockinette and one swatch that is in garter stitch. And then later you Kitchener or three needle bind off them together. Mm -hmm. So so each of these has two swatches essentially. Okay. So on one on the stockinette, you're supposed to use one technique, and then on the other, the garter, you're supposed to use another technique. And okay. they don't tell you which to use. They want you to figure that out because you're supposed to be a master. So I very cleverly decided I was going to do the German short rows on the stockinette swatch. And so I did that and I it looked perfect. It looked beautiful on the the swatch that I was doing the the short rows on the knit side. But when it came time to do the short rows on the other swatch that I would have to do on the pearl side, right? To get right. them to line up correctly. Mm -hmm. My German short rows on the pearl side just looked terrible. Hmm. So I said, hmm, I don't like this. So I decided to do a wrap and turn on that. Okay. So I did a wrap and turn, and it looked beautiful, perfect. Three needle binded them off together. Gorgeous swatch. All right. Then on the garter, I decided to try the yarn over technique. Okay. Now, as a master knitter, I'm supposed to know that Wrap and turn is the preferred method to use on garter stitch. But I was like, okay. But I already used the wrap and turn on this other one, and I couldn't use the same, right? Right. So so then I went and I did yarn over on the two garter stitch ones. They look perfect and beautiful. I kitchenered those together. It was all good. And then I got to thinking, all right, this master committee, they're really, really picky about everything. Yeah. And... I bet they're not going to like the fact that I used two different techniques oh, no. on the stockinette one. Uh -huh. Even though I think rather than disqualify me, I think I should get extra credit, right? <laughs> because not only did I demonstrate two techniques between these two swatches, I was demonstrating three. But I thought, well, you know, I'm going to just call or ask. So you can you can contact your, your co-chair to ask questions like that. So I... I've asked the question, and of course the response was, no, you must use one technique on one swatch and one technique. I'm like, okay. So so then I'm like, all right. So in this case now, I can't use the German on the stockinette because I know my pearl side look crappy. I know they really want you to use the wrap and turn <laughs> on the other. <laughs> so I went and I did the, the wrap and turn on the garter stitch. I got to say, it does not look as good as my yarn overs on garter stitch. <clears throat> and then I tried all kinds of methods on this other, on the stockinette one. <clears throat> and I finally ended up, I finally ended up using the Japanese. Oh, okay. But 
but it really kind of made me mad that I couldn't use German on the one side of the stockinette and wrap and turn on the other. It looked so perfect. So, so there, committee. <laughs> All right. You got a save or did you mention it before? No, I, I, I have a, another save. Okay. Um, Pearl Soho video tutorials. I mention this because now that everything is online and everybody has a YouTube channel, <laughs> it can be hard to figure out whose tutorial you should listen to, who has the best one. And the reason I like Pearl Soho is they're kind of a no-fail. They're a big brand. They sell yarn out of New York. They do embroidery and crochet and weaving and other crafts. So they really know what they're doing. They teach a lot of workshops. And all of their videos are really clean, minimalistic, easy to view. The, the voiceover is very helpful. And I think if you're stuck on something and you just need a, like a refresher or some help, that is a great go-to. Okay. Good to know. So my save is really just something I mentioned earlier in the podcast is to make a swatch and test out all these different techniques that we have talked about. And I first saw this done by uh, Suzanne Bryan has a video where I think she tests out five different techniques on a swatch. And I, I watched that and I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I was kind of watching hers to, you know, to kind of see, well, you know, how do they look different and what looks different and which one should I use? But then I got to thinking, well, but that's how she does them. That's how they look when she does them. So maybe maybe I need to do it. Um, I also saw a similar video by Roxanne Richardson, who's another one that, who I've come to really appreciate lately um, because she helped me get, get over another problem I had in the, the master's program. But, but anyway, I would just recommend make a swatch and try all these techniques, do them on both sides so you can see if there's a difference on the pearl side or on the knit side. And then, you know, after you, you have that swatch, you can decide for yourself which works best for you. I really support that. As somebody who used to teach classes, that is something practicing on swatches is something I can't emphasize enough. So I think it's awesome that you did this. I would encourage everyone to do that for everything that you struggle with or want to get better at or are new to so that you do it on some a decent swatch and you can actually see and compare and also watch your improvement as you do them more and more. Right, right. And I, and I actually, uh, because I knew we were going to talk about, and, and B and I had decided how we were going to split up specifically talking about these techniques. And, and most of them I was sort of familiar with, but just as a refresher, I, I did sit down last night and do a swatch with each of the four techniques that I talked about so that I just would feel more familiar. And it, it really was kind of a fun little project, you know, and it only took me, I don't know, an hour and a half or so. So it was fun. So what are you craving? So there is a book by Carol Feller that is available on Amazon. <laughs> It's called Short Row Knits, a master workshop with 20 learn-as-you-knit projects. And Ooh. I think that that is such a perfect book uh, for what we were talking about in this episode. The patterns are actually really pretty. So I know that sometimes when you buy a whole book and not just the one-off on Ravelry, you get patterns that you're not really going to knit. But all of these are really nice. 
And I think that having projects sort of coach you at your level to sort of start off and introduce you to short rows and then get more complex as you get more familiar with the technique is a great way to master a technique. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to check that out because she's kind of in the news right now because didn't she do a pattern recently for um, Mason Dixon? I think she's in their one of their more recent field guides and I think that there's some yarn that they're promoting right now and talking about a pattern. I'm pretty sure it's her. That sounds right. That's okay. Um, so I am craving, I am craving to do anything but this damn master knitting <laughs> <laughs> program. I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I'm really done with the knitting. I have, well, I have to do the um, an Argyle sock. I did one sock, but mm, it's it's okay. I think I'm going to try to do the other one to see which one looks best, which one I want one to send in. But I've finished all the other knitting. I, I have I have my vest. I just need to do some mattress stitching on, and and so I just can't wait to do what they call civilian knitting. And last summer, I bought a pattern and yarn. I know it's going to be a shock to make a shawl. Because people know I don't make shawls, but I'm not making it for myself because I would just never wear a shawl. But for our Aunt Mary, Dad's mm. Aunt Mary that lives yes. in California, mm -hmm. yeah. I saw this pattern made up in a shop in Denver last summer. And I just, I don't know, I immediately thought of Aunt Mary and she had just been to visit us um, a couple months before and I she was very intrigued by my knitting and so... I just thought it would be really fun to make something for her. And I found this beautiful sort of cashmere Ooh. yarn and her birthday is in July. Mm. So I've kind of had it in my queue knowing I wanted to get this to her um, for July. So I actually did a, a, it's got a, it's called Sand Waves and it's by Nora Gone. And it's just these, as you might imagine, it's like, waves throughout the whole thing so it's these, this cable pattern that's all over and I did a little swatch the other day because my my yarn is not the same gauge mm -hmm. as what the pattern calls for so I have to kind of figure out how I'm going to do this but I did that little swatch and I am excited to get knitting on that now that I'm done with this level two knitting it sounds fun so all right well we did it your first episode we did it yay did you have fun I did this was awesome okay well, we're excited that you're part of the Brave Knitting family now. And hmm, so in, for August 1st, you'll have to come up with another topic. Yes, I will. I'll let you all know what I choose. All right. So until next time, be, be brave. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information, check out Brave Knitting at Facebook. Or Ravelry group. You can also find us on Instagram at BEE Brave Knitting and email us at BEE Brave Knitting at gmail.com.